I was reading this week of the uh, newly appointed Austrian ambassador who uh, arrived somewhat late and flummoxed for a civic event or a national event at the Austrian embassy. And uh, he wasn't really too sure of the context and what he should be doing. So when the orchestra struck up, he quickly grabbed a, a beautifully dressed, a bejeweled figure alongside him and went for a dance. He got a very stern response. Young man, I can't dance with you for three reasons. Firstly, this is not a ball, it's a banquet. Secondly, this is not a dance number, this is the Austrian national anthem. And thirdly, I am not a woman, I am the Cardinal Archbishop of Vienna. (laughs) Knowing who people are and what the context is, is often very, very important in life. And as we look today at Jesus foretold and what the Old Testament says about Jesus, if we have the um, PowerPoint up, Paul, um, we uh, are going to learn that the people writing uh, the Gospels, writing these prophecies, were very concerned that we should know who Jesus is, that we should have a full understanding of him. Now, I hope your hearts aren't going to sink too much in terms of the possible length of the message here, but there are over 300 prophecies relating to Jesus in the Old Testament. And these include prophecies about, uh, that are gathered around his birth, around his ministry, his life on earth, and his death. Uh, you'll be relieved to know we're go- not going to look at all 300 this morning. Um, But I just want to pick out some themes that uh, those prophets, those gospel writers are wanting to tell us, not um, so that we can be academically clever, so that we can have lots of head knowledge, but so that we can know who Jesus is. So that's what it's about this morning, knowing who Jesus is, so that we're able to follow him. Now, lots of the prophecies, if you've been to candlelight carol services before, if you've been to Christmas services before, you'll be familiar with the words of them. Uh, So there's prophecies about Jesus being born of a woman, Jesus being born in Bethlehem, Jesus being the Son of God, uh, and then later prophecies, which we won't look at today, about Jesus being crucified. And we can be very familiar with those prophecies, but just once, the first thing I wanted to say was really actually some of the prophecies would have been a real surprise to people. God has promised, for example, to send the people somebody who will be their king. So we, people might have expected that a major ruler would come who would conquer everything. Uh, but the prophecies don't say that at all. The prophecies... Isaiah, for example, says the Lord himself will give you a sign. A a woman will have a child. Not the sort of thing we're expecting at all. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Really familiar words, but a tremendous surprise to the people that were listening at the time. If you wanted, if you were King Ahaz at this time, and you were worried about the Assyrian Empire sweeping through with all their might, you might want a little bit more than a baby as a solution to that. So it was a real surprise in terms of what's being said. But the gospel writers, the prophets, want us to understand who Jesus is. They want us to know who Jesus is so that we can put our trust and our faith in him. 
I guess if we were wanting to find out about somebody today, if we've got a sporting hero, or uh, in my case it would probably be an actor or actress that we wanted to read up about and get that, their biography, and we, we got a copy of that, uh, probably it would start with the beginning of their career very often. If it's footballer or cricketer, it start with their first sort of first matches, their, their first uh, coming to sporting success, an actor, their first plays and so on. So when Mark's writing his gospel and he's starting to tell people about Jesus, not much of a surprise then really that he starts with the beginning of Jesus' ministry uh, so he can explain to people who Jesus is. But Luke, when he writes his gospel a bit later, he goes one better than that. He says, well, I won't just start with uh, what Jesus does. I'll go right back to, to when Jesus was born, right to the start of somebody's life. Well, if you think you can't do a lot better than that, really, in terms of starting with the beginning of somebody's life, but Matthew sees, <laughs> sees the challenge. So in his gospel, he starts not, uh, not just with the beginning of Jesus' life, but he goes back right to all, all the ancestors, right back to Adam. He goes right back in terms of his explanation. Well, where does that leave John to go when he starts his gospel? How, how can you go back any further than right to the beginning of the whole ancestry of the human race? Well, you can, and John does, because he goes back even further. And he says, in the beginning, before anything at all was created, Jesus was, Jesus, the word, was, was there in the beginning. So we can see that as the gospel writers are writing about Jesus foretold, wanting us to be certain, they're painting a very, very big picture. They're painting a picture not of just the Jesus that people would have had in their earthly memories. They're painting a picture of somebody who was there in the very beginning, who was linked with creation itself and who was there and through whom everything was created. So I want to, in our, our thoughts, just pick up three themes um, and creation's one of them. That, that Jesus is the one who was involved in creation. Now, it would be, I think, quite potentially time-consuming and boring to go through all of the prophecies one by one, but just look at, just, let's look at this one, uh, for example, and see if you've ever noticed this before. It's, again, very common to be read at Christmas services. You, Bethlehem, through you, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel. So Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. But if you notice this next bit, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, it actually goes back all the way to creation. So this ruler is going to come from Bethlehem, who's going to be descended from the, the people of, uh, of Judah, from the, the, the Israel people, the Jewish people. But it's somebody who's got a connection with the whole of creation. So this Jesus uh, is somebody through whom everything was created, say the prophecies. This Jesus is then somebody who fulfills, as we've already heard in our service, God's plan through all of history. To the Jewish people, it was very important in terms of who your ancestors were, what family you, you came from. Uh, maybe it's less important, unless you remember the royal family, maybe these things are maybe a bit less important today. But to the Jewish people, very, very important in terms of what family you came from. And so, again, we won't go through all of these prophecies one by one, line by line. 
But uh, we can see that in, just in the slide, that in the book of Genesis, in the book of Numbers, and we could go elsewhere in the Bible, time and time again, the prophets and uh, writers of the history are wanting to show that Jesus has come right from this line of people who were blessed by God in the past. From, he's a descendant of Abraham, he's a descendant of Isaac, he's a descendant of Jacob, he's from the, the, the tribe of Judah, the, the family of Judah. The gospel writers wanting uh, people to know that Jesus stands in this line of God's promises. So he's the one who has created, he's the one who stands in the, the line of God's promises. But again, one major theme in the prophecies, and we won't go through them line by line and one by one, is the idea of kingship, of a ruler who's going to be coming, who's going to be like no other ruler. And um, again, we won't go through it line by line, but uh, that the Messiah is going to be one who's going to be like King David in the past, the greatest king they ever had. So when Luke's writing his gospel, what does he say? What, how does he tell the story? Uh, he tells the story that when Mary is approached by the angel to tell her she's having uh, the baby Jesus, she's told the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. What do the angels sing as they um, sing uh, and tell the angels what's, uh, what's going to happen? I bring you good news. Because today is born in the town of David, a saviour who's born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So these ideas of being a king and a king like no other. And um, just going back to that prophecy in Micah, that was what was said there. was It's going to be a ruler over Israel, a king who's going to be like no other king. So without, again, going into all of the detail of this, we see that what the prophets are saying, what the Old Testament is saying, is that Jesus is somebody who fulfilled God's plan, who was involved in creation, who was there right from the, the start of time, and who is going to be a king like no other, and is going to rule uh, like no other. Well, what's that got to do with us? What's that got to do with us? Is that just simply of interest to, to people that at Bible college, but not going really a lot further than that? Well, almost all of these situations that uh, the prophets spoke into, that we've looked at, were times of uncertainty and trouble where people didn't know what was going to happen next. So Micah's writing at a time where he's, he's saying, I think Jerusalem may be about to, be, to, to fall to, to foreign powers, where Assyria may be about to take over. Isaiah is writing at a time where there's a world power possibly going to be sweeping in and they've got a very weak king, King Ahaz. And even the gospel writers, they're writing at a time where maybe things haven't worked out as people thought they were going to. Jesus has come, Jesus has risen to heaven, but... What, what, what's happened? Uh, Jesus hasn't returned. The Roman Empire has, has destroyed Jerusalem. Things haven't quite worked out for any of these people hearing these prophecies uh, in the way that they might have thought that life would work out. 
And that's why each of them, I think, wants them to know the certainty of what Jesus is saying, the certainty of who Jesus is, that he is the one who's involved in creation. He is the one who is the fulfillment of God's promises. He is the one who is the king like, unlike any other. Somebody emailed me uh, yesterday. I don't know whether you've heard. There is um, meant to, this is the first bit serious, the second bit isn't. But there's meant to be a new 50 p pence coin to mark uh, the leaving of Brexit. So there's been some speculation about what this 50 pence coin will look like. Uh, somebody uh, uh, sent me yesterday one possible design of the 50 pence uh, coin that, that might. <laughs> That, that might be, and uh, if you're listening to this, this is a picture of the Queen with the, the uh, head in her hands. And whatever you think of Brexit, whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, um, I, I think it's fairly safe to say things are not terribly predictable. Uh, Theresa May, talking I, I, either this morning or, or late yesterday afternoon, in Downing Street, talked about us moving into uncharted waters. Uh, not knowing where things are going to be going next. It's not, the, the, not really words you want to hear in the Prime Minister's mouth, is it, in terms of we're going to be moving into uncharted waters. So, as a country, we know that we face, between now and March the 29th, a period of what I think Donald Rumsfeld would describe as known unknowns. We know that there are things we don't know, and we don't know how they're going to work out, and we know that they're really important. We know that as a church as well. We know that there are known unknowns. I saw the news sheet last week, this, this week rather, um, a few days ago, um, saying Stephen's trying to sell his house, he's looking to move here. We don't know quite how that's going to work out. There are known unknowns. And probably in our personal lives, almost certainly in our personal lives, there are going to be known unknowns. Things where we don't know how those things are going to work out. And it's into precisely this context, precisely that type of situation, that the prophets and the gospel writers and the historians speak when they want uh, people to hear and know that Jesus, who has come as Saviour, as Lord, is the one who is involved in all creation, who is all-powerful. That he is the one who has absolutely fulfilled uh, God's promises. He is the one who is the king overall. I've been looking this week at, uh, in terms of reading about, for, ready for an essay about trying to understand why Luke was writing in the way that he, he was and um, reading that the history would have been, a lot of people would have been saying to Luke potentially, what's gone wrong? What's gone wrong here? Why have, why have the Romans destroyed Jerusalem? Why hasn't Jesus returned? What's gone wrong? And actually what Luke's saying is nothing's gone wrong. Nothing's gone wrong because Jesus has fulfilled all of his prophecies. He's fulfilled God's plan. It wasn't that there's a plan A and then a plan B and a plan C and the plans keep changing, as one might possibly think they are in terms of Brexit. There has been a plan from the start of time and Jesus is with us and what the Gospel writers are wanting to say is that we are able to have that certainty that he is absolutely reliable as a saviour. One theme of prophecy we haven't looked at, um, but we'll just touch on very, very briefly, is 
that theme that affects all of us about the power of evil, the power of sin, uh, whatever language you want to use, but that power of things to upset us, to spoil our lives, to take us away from God. And again, can't get through line by line, but the, those writing want to be very clear right from the start that Jesus absolutely defeats those powers, those things that trouble us, those things that separate us from God. Jesus deals with those. And again, if you've been to a traditional carol service, uh, Nine Lessons, I think this is one of the, the early, earliest ones possibly that comes, or second maybe, um, where it talks in Genesis about the imagery of a snake biting somebody on the heel, but Jesus being the one that will crush their head. A snake that bites you on the heel, if you've ever walked across Canuck Chase and thought about this, in terms of the prospect of an adder biting you on the heel, would do you no good at all. It would make you very ill. It could, it could be life-threatening. But as a snake, to have your head crushed is life-destroying. Uh, it's, one can cause you a lot of harm, but the other, the crushing of the head, is absolutely defeating the powers of evil. And so that's what these writers want people to understand as well, and us to understand as well. That Jesus, in coming, as the creator, as the fulfiller of prophecy, as the king over all time, is the one who has absolutely destroyed the powers of evil. So, John wants us to be certain. He says this at the start of his first letter. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, which we've looked, which our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim. This is what we proclaim to you. This life appeared in Jesus, we've seen it, we give evidence about it, we proclaim it to you. Uh, he who was with the Father has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard. He's telling you it's real, it's real, this is all real. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that, this is so that, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with God the Father, it's with the Son. And we write this to make our joy complete. He wants us to be certain about what he's seen. That Jesus, the creator, the fulfiller, the king, the saviour, is the one who's with us when we face these known unknowns. He is with us. These aren't prophecies somebody could have decided to... Jesus couldn't have decided to say, oh, I'll be born in Bethlehem. <laughs> you couldn't do that, could you? You couldn't work it that way. So, these are things that couldn't have happened by chance. I, I couldn't do this at Moreland's, but I um, wouldn't be allowed to put it in the assignment, but I, I can do it here because um, I can't. Uh, I looked at the internet about what are the chances, what are the chances of these prophecies um, becoming, uh, all, all being fulfilled. Well, I said there were 300. We've, we've looked at about eight or nine. So, I, I looked at some American websites about what are the chances. And apparently, according to this American website, which has no veracity at all, but anyway, we'll see. Um, according to this website, the likelihood of just eight prophecies being fulfilled is one to the power, or ten to the power of seventeen. So, a lot of noughts. Now, I, I can't think in those sorts of numbers. So, the American website very helpfully helped me on that because it said that it would be like uh, having the state of Texas. Are covered in American silver dollars, 
something about that big, um, to a level of two foot high across the whole of the state of Texas, and somebody going randomly and picking up a particular one. That's the sort of chances of just eight. And we're talking here about 300, so the figures get even more and more mind-boggling. The Gospel writers want us to be sure so that we can know, so that we can follow Jesus. I just want to close with two very brief readings. I've said I'm reading about an essay for mission at the moment. And one of the most moving um, accounts that I read um, came from a book, it's a quite well-known book, called The Provocative Church. And the writer Graham Tomlin says this, I want to talk with a young student who is considering carefully whether to become a follower of Christ or not. He looked closely at the reasons for and against and found it hard to decide. There seemed good reason to believe, but then again, there's nothing absolutely conclusive about the arguments. He was stuck not knowing which way to turn. So I suggested to him that he try an experiment. For a few weeks, live as if it's really true. Pray as if God is really listening. Read the Bible as if God is is speaking to you through it. Meet with other Christians as if, when they gather, God is really present among them. And live not only as if you are yourself loved by God, live as if everyone you meet each day is as well. He thought this sounded reasonable, not impossible. He agreed to give it a try. He came back a week later and I could tell immediately that something was different. The worried frown he had worn before was transformed into a definite smile. I did what you said, he said. It worked. I started to live as if it was true. And now I know it's true. He had begun to experience transformation. The gospel writers, the prophets, the historians want us to know this is true, not to have lots of head knowledge but they want us to know Jesus, to experience him and to uh, be in relationship with him. John Betjeman in his famous poem, which we'll close with, asks the same question. And is it true? And is it true? The most tremendous tale of all, seen in a stained glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall. The maker of the stars and sea become a child on earth for me. And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent, and hideous ties so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread wine. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you for the words of the prophets of those in the Old Testament that point us and help us to understand who Jesus is. And Lord, you've just been able to, to begin to touch on that this morning. But we pray that we may know that reality, Lord, in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our spirits. That we may know you, that we may be able to live lives that bring joy, uh, Lord, to, to ourselves, to others, to you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.